0: Hello, and welcome to ADCES's podcast, The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. In each episode, we speak with guests from across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. I'm Kirsten Yale, Research Manager at the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. Today we're talking with Certified Diabetes Care and Education Specialist David Miller about the recently updated AADE-7 Self-Care Behaviors Framework and how they can benefit your practice and clients. David was part of the writing team that took a comprehensive look at how the behaviors fit into your evolving role on the care team and within self-management. David, welcome to The Huddle.
1: Thank you, Kirsten. I'm excited to be here.
0: And we are excited to have you, especially since we're talking about the AADE7, which is actually where you and I had a chance to meet because you were one of the authors on the revision. So that was the first time I met you and you have a fascinating professional story. I was hoping you could share with our audience.
1: Absolutely. And it was great working with you on that. So uh, my background is I started at a small rural hospital. Um, It was very small and obviously diabetes care there was less than desirable. So I thought we needed to have a accredited program. At that time, the American Diabetes Association was the only one that did the accreditation. So I started the program and got the committee together. And we started a diabetes outpatient program and got it accredited and uh, left there and went to work for some pharma companies. I uh, worked with medications and some device companies to get the devices out into the rural communities because a lot of people had never heard of insulin pumps or anything like that. So I worked with them to get that out to the rural company. Currently, I am at a large community network in Indianapolis and doing inpatient. And we just recently started an outpatient program there as well. So diabetes is obviously my passion. Always been active in the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. I teach core concept there. I've been editor of the desk reference and some other books, author, and uh, now, like you said, on the AADe Seven Writing Committee. So, I love to stay busy.
0: It sounds like it, and you know your background from a rural hospital to industry and then to a large health system. I think the really cool thing is that you can translate some of these really tough topics to almost every diabetes care and education specialist out there. So really neat. Hey, can I ask what exactly, because we're going to dive into this topic of the AADE-7 and not all of our listeners really know what the AADE-7 is. We have people from many industries that listen to the podcast. So what are the AADE-7 self-care behaviors?
1: Sure. So the AADE-7 self-care behaviors were designed that anybody with diabetes These were the seven self-care behaviors they needed to actually control or manage their diabetes. Those seven behaviors are healthy eating, being active, taking medication, monitoring, reducing risk, problem-solving, and healthy coping.
0: And so who uses these? Is it just diabetes care and education specialists?
1: No, these behaviors are widely recognized and used by healthcare professionals professional organizations, and government agencies, they actually form the cornerstone for self-management, education, and support. So as we're looking for content and curriculum for outpatient programs, these are a great way to start to make sure you meet all the needs in that program and giving your patients everything they need to know to manage their diabetes.
0: Yeah, and it's really interesting. I mean, I've heard more and more about applying these to the broader cardiometabolic spectrum too, right?
1: Yeah, and that's part of the reason that we kind of looked at them and we're starting to update them.
0: Well, okay, so that jumps into my next question that was on my mind. So, why were they updated?
1: The initial framework was over 10 years old and hasn't been looked at or updated for the 10 years. So, we wanted to look at it. A group got together wanted to look at it to A, make sure they were still applicable. Are there still seven self care behaviors, or is there only five or six, or do we need to add one? You know, we have technology and all of this coming into play now. So we really wanted to look to see if A, they were also applicable or if we needed to condense or expand them. And as you said, we as diabetes care and education specialists, our role is expanding. So we wanted to make sure that that cardiometabolic aspect was encompassed in there, as well as the whole technology piece. So that's really why they were updated.
0: I'm really interested to hear about the technology piece and how that fits in. So can I ask, are there still seven behaviors?
1: There are seven self-care behaviors, and towards the end of the podcast, I'm going to hold out a little tease there, but at the end of the podcast, I'll tell you where you can go and find a new framework and what we did with that. So stay tuned for that.
0: Fantastic. Hey, so what did change?
1: So what changed was, like you said, we incorporated the technology in there. We incorporated that new role of the diabetes care and education specialist, as well as we broadened what was already there in some of the behaviors we created a paper that allows anybody, so whether you are just beginning as a diabetes care and education specialist, or you've been in the profession for a long time, or you're out in the rural community and you start, we've actually kind of lined out everything, the knowledge, the skills, and the barriers, and how you measure this, and the learning outcomes for each one of these behaviors. So we've kind of made it very easy to follow along. And we'll give some examples here later on.
0: Like I said, I was lucky enough to work with you guys, sit in the room and really kind of take that deep dive and again, listen and learn from you guys. And what I saw changed, it seemed to move from a more linear model to a centric model. I mean, I even remember like the visuals we put up. Would you say that that fits that it's become more centric?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's part of why our role changed and our name has changed because we do more than just diabetes education. You know, we're out there trying to figure out ways where our patients can afford or even get their insulin or their testing supplies or the new technology and how that works and how that fits into the management of their disease. And there's just so many more changes and they happen so quickly now. We as diabetes care and education specialists have to be Aware and attuned to all of those so that we can help our patients make the best out of their disease.
0: So, and you, I think, have already mentioned this as we've talked. I've been able to pick it out, but what would you say would be the biggest shifts in the changing role of the diabetes care and education specialist? Like, are there any highlights there?
1: Yeah, I mean, it is connecting them with technologies and, you know, phone apps. Everybody has a cell phone now, even the geriatric population. So, Are there phone apps that can help them remember to take their medication or to help them carb count and those types of things? As also, you know, we have the continuous glucose monitoring and different technology pieces like that that may fit and help them to have better blood sugar control.
0: So as you, as a diabetes care and education specialist, can you use some of this technology to, I think that's what I'm hearing you say, you can use the technology to help leverage and optimize the care?
1: Absolutely. And I think we as diabetes care and education specialists, I mean, I think we have a challenge too, because I don't think we utilize technology the way we should, because now, you know, if you're going to the dentist or you're getting a massage, you get a text that says, David has an appointment at Dr. So-and-so's office Monday at two, please press C to confirm. So, you know, we could use these technologies to communicate with our patients and, you know, encourage and motivate, hey, great job. I tell your blood sugars were at 120 or whatever the case may be. So I think there's a challenge put out there for us as well to utilize the technology on our part so that we can help motivate and keep them connected because that's really what they need.
0: Yeah, It kind of boggles my mind a little bit. Like there's so much technology out there. So you guys are clinicians and there's so much technology out there. And then that technology seems to be what helps the centric piece work. How do you make that all happen? How do you guys stay on top of that?
1: Well, I mean, we have to do, you know, our continuing ed and our due diligence, and a lot of it is through either our colleagues at the pharmacology companies and the sales reps and those types of things to let us know what's going on with their technology. And there's different webinars or conferences that we can go to. But when it comes to our patients, we have to individualize it down to them. I'll give you an example with a patient I had. He um, was in the hospital and met with him. He didn't know he had diabetes. So then I met with him and kind of gave him what is diabetes and all that. And this guy was determined. He went home on insulin. His A1C was like 13. And I gave him some phone apps and those types of things. And he stayed in touch with me. And the phone apps worked for him for a little bit. But then come to find out, as I explored a little further with him, he was an engineer. So he developed this huge spreadsheet and would send me his spreadsheet every week with his carbs that he ate, the insulin that he took and his weight. And he actually ended up over a year's time losing a hundred pounds, was completely off any medications. He went not only just insulin, but all orals and everything. But you have to find what technology works for that patient. You know, you can't just think that this is going to work for them. And it's a one-time fix and a cookie cutter. You give it to everybody. You really have to delve into how they work and what they do and those types of things. But this was a great example. This guy, you know, he started out with those apps and just ended up making his old-fashioned spreadsheet and it worked for him.
0: So do you think that you learn from the people with diabetes that you work with?
1: Oh, I learn from them every day, every day. I had a gentleman last week and this was a nephew of this patient and the patient was 87 years old. He was in an assisted living and the nephew was upset because he said, he's like a little kid every time I come in he's eating cookies and ice cream and i know that can't be good for his diabetes and his blood sugars were running a little high and i said here's what we have to understand you know he is running a little high, but he's at eighty seven years old. Probably these high blood sugars isn't what's going to be his demise. You know, I want him to enjoy his cookies and ice cream the last few however long he has left on this earth. I said, But we can give him a little bit of insulin, but don't worry about the cookies and ice cream. It's he actually started crying and said, You don't know how much I appreciate your kindness and what you've told to me. Nobody's ever told this to me. And this makes me feel so much better. So it's just it's amazing. The people just want to learn and to know this stuff and I just want them to reach out to their diabetes care and education specialist.
0: Yeah, that's got to be so rewarding as a clinician. I mean, that's why you do this, right? Exactly. I'm curious, and just hearing your stories, those last two stories, which were fantastic. So if you think about the AADE7, how is it helpful for people with diabetes? That could be like a half an hour conversation, but I guess, are there any big highlights?
1: Yeah. So my patients, when I go over these, I want them to be aware of the seven and what ultimately the big picture is. But, you know, it's just like anything else. We're not going to have it manageable overnight. So let's pick one or two of these and set some goals. And which one or two of them are the ones you really want to work on first? You know, is not monitoring that maybe you weren't monitoring your blood sugars at all? And, and now we're going to set a goal that you're going to monitor your blood sugar three times a day for the next week. And then we'll go from there. Or maybe it is healthy eating. You know, I'm going to start carb counting and only go to fast food one time a week. So it's important that they don't kind of overindulge, if you will, you know, we want them to get those first couple of goals and to be successful. So then they're motivated to do the rest. So don't take a big mountain and try to move the mountain all at once. Pick out a couple of rocks and we'll just move a couple rocks at a time and get them motivated and encouraged. And then they will continue to do, you know, more and more and we can have better control.
0: I love that visual, like just little by little, it's not an all or nothing thing, right? Exactly. Then they
1: get frustrated and say, you know, it's not worth it. I'm working too hard. And I'm doing all these seven things and I'm not seeing the needle move at all. And and then they get frustrated and then just throw their hands in the air and go on. And we've lost that patient. We haven't done justice for that patient. So we want to make sure that we listen to them and what they want to start on first in those little things.
0: As we're starting to end up here, I have one more question for you, too. You gave us that great visual or talked us through that of you know this behavior change and moving people through the behaviors. You think technology, does that make that behavior change easier?
1: Oh, absolutely. I do because we are a society where we want instant gratification. We want to see those results now. You know, we want to start our diet and step on the scale and see those two pounds off tomorrow. I, what well, you mean? I didn't lose two pounds in a day. So we want that instant gratification. So with these apps, such as like the continuous glucose monitor we talked about earlier, I can see what my blood sugar is constantly through the day. So, you know, if I walked around my block two times and saw, hey, you know what? My blood sugar went down 50 points when I walked around the block. I'm going to do that again tomorrow. So I see it again tomorrow when I see what it did to my blood sugar. Or maybe it's, oh my gosh, look what my blood sugar did when I ate that third piece of pizza. You know, maybe I need to cut back and only eat two next time. So technology gives them that instant gratification where they can see that, what they really are doing is really working. And and they're going to see those changes and then, again, be more motivated to continue those and to even take on another behavior.
0: It's fascinating. I mean, with these behaviors and how important they are, and then adding in technology, it really feels like we're in a revolution of diabetes care and education. So, David, this has been fantastic. Um, Two things. I wanted to let people know ADCES has a new tip sheet out. It's funded by Eli Lilly and a paper published in The Diabetes Educator, and they're both available now at diabeteseducator.org forward slash AADE7 behaviors. And then, David, any last words from you? I call them like words of wisdom that you could leave us with, you know, thinking about the behaviors.
1: My words of wisdom is to listen to your patients. They want to do what's best for them, and sometimes it can be very frustrating because. You know, you hear, oh, I have this non-compliant patient. But to me, that means we have failed them and we've not been able to find what motivates them. So it's not the patients that's not compliant. It's that we have failed them and not found what works for them. So listen to them, ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask had, And everything we know goes on out there, just like diabetes distress, where they just get so frustrated because they've had the disease. I had a lady, she was a type one, She had had it for 20 years. She was 40 some years old and she was out of control. And her husband did everything for her. He counted her carbs. He gave her insulin. He checked her blood sugars. And I was like, can I suggest that you see a therapist to help you? Because there is such a thing as diabetes distress. And A, she didn't know that. But then they both kind of laughed. And I said, why are you laughing? They both said at the same time. We're both therapists. I said, "Well, maybe we find a third party that's not involved with you, but you know, you just have to listen to your patients because they really want to know, and they're going to tell you what's important to them. So, pick up what they say, and then help them figure out what's going to work for them. What app or what technology is really going to work with them so that they can have better management of their diabetes and better quality of life."
0: You know, I think it's taken almost my whole life to realize if I just pause and listen, it gets me from point a to point b so much faster than if i'd been talking my whole way through so
1: no i was just gonna say we tend to be fixers you know we're in the healthcare (laughs) profession so we want to be fixers and then sometimes we jump in with our ideas on how to fix it instead of listening to what they're telling us so take a pause like you said we have two ears and one mouth for a reason so sit back and listen
0: i love that you're right we are fixers (laughs) i totally agree with that hey david this was really great chatting with you today and i really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. And make sure that the listeners go to that website and see the paper because it'll give them a lot of great tips.
0: Fantastic. We will. Thanks, David. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. Today, we heard from David Miller on the updated AADE7 self-care behaviors. The AADE7 self-care behaviors drive lifestyle change and act as the cornerstone of diabetes self-management the updated AADE-7 reflect the growing influence of technology on behavior change and your role as a diabetes care and education specialist. It's so important that we as healthcare professionals understand how to optimize technology to support diabetes care. You can access the updated AADE-7 framework and the new tip sheets at diabeteseducator.org forward slash AADE-7 behaviors. Thank you to Lily Diabetes for sponsoring these important resources. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be appropriate or applicable to your individual circumstances. The podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.